Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. Coming up on this episode, Microsoft announced an end to Windows 10 feature updates. Also, a major uplift for Windows in future with Microsoft working to replace C++ data types with Rust. And also, multiple companies are reportedly replacing laid-off staff with artificial intelligence. For this and more, Keep listening to this episode of the podcast, which of course is brought to you by my awesome sponsors. That includes ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work from anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. And also brought to you by Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops. And of course, also brought to you by Netrick's Policy Pack, where you use Group Policy, Policy Pack Cloud, our MDM to remove local admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. The current version of Windows 10, 22H2, will be the final version of Windows 10 and all additions will remain in support when the monthly security update releases through October 14, 2025, according to an announcement from Microsoft. And Microsoft are encouraging customers to transition to Windows 11 now, as there won't be any additional Windows 10 feature updates. They say if you and or your organization must remain on Windows 10 for now, please update to Windows 10 version 22H2 to continue receiving monthly security update releases through October 14, 2025. So this is a warning. You know, you need to be on 2020H2 even just to get the ongoing monthly updates. So if you're not on that yet, get there. Microsoft also added, if you're waiting for a Windows 11 LTSC release, You can begin planning and testing your applications and hardware on the current GA channel release, Windows 11 version 22H2. So I'm guessing 22H2 will be that base that will make up the Windows 11 LTSC. So get testing on that if that is something that you're looking for. So this is not all that surprising. I mean, over a two year lead time makes sense. In the past, a lot of Windows desktop migration projects would take 18 months to two years. So this gives a little wiggle room, but not much. So you better get started now. In an update to one of the 2020 and 2021's biggest tech stories, it has now been reported that the US DOJ detected the SolarWinds hack six months earlier than first disclosed. Wired.com confirmed the operation was discovered in May 2020, but the scale and significance of the breach wasn't immediately apparent. Suspicions were triggered when the department detected unusual traffic emanating from one of its servers that was running a trial version of the Orion software suite made by SolarWinds, according to sources familiar with the incident. The software, used by system administrators to manage and configure networks, was communicating externally with an unfamiliar system on the internet. The Department of Justice asked the security firm Mandiant to help determine whether the server had been hacked and also engaged with Microsoft, although it's not clear why they engaged with Microsoft. 
Investigators suspected the hackers had breached the DOJ server directly, possibly by exploiting a vulnerability in the Orion software. They reached out to SolarWinds to assist with the inquiry, but the company's engineers were unable to find a vulnerability in their code. And in July 2020, with the mystery still unresolved, communication between investigators and SolarWinds stopped. Then a month later, the department purchased the Orion system, suggesting that the department was satisfied that there was no further threat posed by the suite. A Department of Justice spokesperson confirmed that the incident and investigation occurred but wouldn't provide any details about what investigators had concluded. The U.S. CISA and others have reportedly expressed frustration at not being informed sooner than December. Mandiant themselves were affected by the supply chain attack too. Presumably, that means they're a SolarWinds customer. And when asked why, when the company announced the supply chain hack in December, they didn't publicly disclose that it had been tracking an incident related to the SolarWinds campaign in a government network months earlier, a spokesperson noted only that, quote, when we went public, we had identified other compromised customers, end quote. So I guess kind of leaning on that fact that initially they didn't understand how widespread this was going to be and how large it was. 1Password confirmed a recent incident that caused US-based customers to receive a notification stating, quote, your secret key or password was recently changed. Enter your new account details to continue, end quote. And this was the result of service disruption due to routine database maintenance scheduled on Thursday, April 27th. And they say that this was not a security breach. BleepyComputer.com reported the same notification popped up last December too. And for their part, 1Password said that they will use the data collected during last week's incident to understand the root cause and improve database migration processes and error handling going forward. They say they take the integrity of your data and the stability of their systems very seriously and will continue to work hard every day to earn that trust that you've placed in us. Now, obviously, when you receive that particular message saying that your secret key or password was recently changed, uh, that could get you kind of paranoid and scared. Uh, really, at least they should have a better message for something as benign, I guess, as a database uh, maintenance issue causing a blip. So their quote doesn't say that they're going to fix that part of it, but they really should, in my opinion. Back in March, some Citrix customers reported issues when reconnecting to disconnected sessions in their Citrix environments after they'd updated their VDAs to version 2303. The session would attempt to reconnect, but then get stuck at the Windows welcome screen. Citrix stated that a change was introduced in 2303 that affects how Citrix is loading the Citrix graphics virtual channel exposing this particular issue. A member of Citrix support posted on the Citrix forum late last week to state that the work is underway on a private hotfix for this issue, but none is available at this time. It also appears there is no good workarounds, although some were recommended in the forum, but uh, others reported that it did not actually fix the problem. Um, some have said that they've just been holding off on upgrading for now, and that seems like the smart choice. Slash.org had a report about new Intel i915 Linux kernel graphics driver patches that help the Intel RPS, our requested power state feature, uh, with up-down thresholds and helping to tune 
with this RPS feature could actually lead to performance improvements of up to 15%, which is pretty significant, obviously. Uh, research and testing was carried out using some popular video games by the looks of the article. And right now, the Intel Linux kernel driver has static values set for the up-down thresholds when you get this update. Um, but you can configure these and have them dynamically configure by user space. And the article suggests that there was some tweaking that they did and made changes to these configurations in order to yield that 15% performance improvement. So it's not simply a case of just installing the patch and then it's going to improve by 15%. It seems to vary, but you are able to make configurations to yield greater results by the sounds of things. Microsoft posted a blog with some of the recent Azure Virtual Desktop enhancements that they've announced, most of which I've covered on previous episodes of the podcast, but it is nice to see them all listed in one place. I'm not going to go through and rehash everything, but just to give a taste of what they mentioned, they covered some storage enhancements for better efficiency and a better employee experience. And they say that these improvements come with the FSLogix 2210 for Azure Virtual Desktop, plus a recommended hotfix, and the VHD Disk Compaction, which allows the employee's container to shrink during the sign-out phase, which reduces the amount of storage for an employee's profile. That Disk Compaction script, I believe, was originally created by Jim Moyle and had been available for some time, but was essentially integrated within FSLogix. So it's cool to see this being highlighted and the fact that it's been brought into the product offering. Uh, Microsoft have also added a new process during the sign-out phase, which creates an AppX package manifest for employees. And this enables faster app launch experiences the next time they sign in, as the manifest is used to re-register the AppX applications. And that's another great thing, because I remember my buddy Trenton Tai uh, did a blog post at controlup.com covering slowness created during login um, caused by some AppX packages. And lastly, uh, when employees delete data from a session, it now roams their recycle bin, which allows them to restore from another session. And that is one that I definitely covered on previous episodes of the podcast. Again, these are things that were announced in the last few months or maybe even uh, late last year, I think. Uh, but they've all been compiled into one place. So if you'd like to read about that and more, I'll share a link with this episode of the podcast. And you'll find that at 5bytespodcast.com and episode 280. The Verge reported that Dropbox is laying off around 500 employees, making up about 16% of the company's entire workforce. In a memo to employees, Dropbox CEO Drew Houston attributes the layoffs to a rocky economy, but also says that the cuts will allow the company to build out its AI division. The Verge reported that the CEO stated the company's next stage of growth requires a different mix of skill sets, particularly in AI and early stage product development. And they've been bringing in great talent in these areas over the last couple of years, and they'll need even more. I thought this is interesting as obviously AI is such a hot topic and it seems like a lot of companies are interested in getting some AI integration within their product, which will create jobs. But also it was reported this week that IBM, who have announced that more than 7,000 employees would be laid off, are also looking at using AI to possibly augment staff and make up some shortfall. Uh, all these AI developments are happening so fast 
uh, it's really hard to keep track of. And obviously, one of the uh, possibilities of automation and artificial intelligence that has been talked about for many years is the fact that it could make some positions redundant. So it'll be interesting to see with so many layoffs occurring due to economic reasons and tech companies who said that they uh, increased the size of their staff, expecting things to continue on an upward trend. I've had to lay people off, but it also may be a way for them to replace staff with artificial intelligence going forward. So it'd be interesting to see how this trends going forward. Neowin.net reported that Windows 11 will soon be booting with Rust in the kernel, and it could be happening really soon. This comes after David Weston, who's VP for Enterprise and OS Security at Microsoft, presented at the recent Blue Hat IL 2023 event, adding that Microsoft has been interested in the language for several reasons, and one of those happens to center around memory safety and security that Rust offers. The quote from David stated, quote, basic goal here was to convert some of these internal C++ data types into their Rust equivalents, end quote. The report suggests it could potentially happen within just a few weeks from now. Weston added that 36,000 lines of code have been added so far, and there are also no major performance regressions in tested scenarios. So no performance hit and better security within the operating system seems like a win. Attacks on Veeam backup servers have been observed since March 28th, and that is just less than a week after an exploit became available for a high severity security vulnerability in Veeam backup and replication. Tracked as CVE-2023-27532, the security issue exposes encrypted credentials stored in the VBR configuration to unauthenticated users in the backup infrastructure. This could be used to access the backup infrastructure hosts. The software vendor fixed the issue on March 7th and provided workaround instructions. There are some deep technical details shared in an article by bleepycomputer.com. Uh, and personally, I find this story further highlights how quickly exploits and attacks are carried out by unknown vulnerabilities. So March 28th, and it was only disclosed and patched on March 7th, yeah, you, know, like you really have to stay on top of patching to keep ahead of the bad guys, I believe. WindowsCentral.com has an interesting article about the many edge extensions and features and concerns about so many features that are leading to bloat and causing performance degradation. They've reported that in the most recent version of Microsoft Edge in the Canary build, there is a section that lets you add or remove certain optional features which may speed up performance. So this is in the Canary build, hoping this one makes it to production sooner rather than later, because it would be nice to just be able to remove certain things that you don't really care about that might boost performance. Amazon Workspaces Core is now available in the AWS GovCloud US East region and AWS GovCloud US West regions. Amazon Workspaces Core provides a cloud-based, fully managed virtual desktop infrastructure accessible to third-party VDI management solutions via API. So, for example, integrating with VMware Horizon. Uh, this is something I covered on previous episodes of the podcast when it was announced. So, it's cool that the uh, support for regions uh, concerning GovCloud is now supported in the U.S. Microsoft have announced more regions for Windows 365 too. They've announced support for South Africa North, 
and Sweden Central as two new supported regions. MS Endpoint MGR shared a new Intune app factory, which looks really cool. It is an automated solution that combines the flexibility and power of Azure DevOps pipelines together with the Intune Win32 app PowerShell module, and it looks like it may also roll in the Evergreen PowerShell module and WinGet too. It's intended to simplify and streamline the application packaging process in Intune. This is really interesting to me as I have a similar automation framework uh, myself, but it puts applications into application containers as part of the process and delivers them via cloud pager. Uh, I updated my demo for this back in February, but I haven't actually shared it yet. <laughs> I've been procrastinating. Uh, I'll get mine shared as soon as I can. But before then, check out the Intune App Factory because I love the idea of automating the packaging and patching of applications. And I believe this one was announced uh, during the MMS event in Minnesota, which was taking place this week. Also at MMS, Patch My PC announced their advanced insights feature that will bring slick looking reporting that can be drilled through for a detailed view of your compliance patch level and general security of your environment relating to application updates and patching. And it's all accessible within seconds of just drilling down through the reports. A lot of the data will reportedly be actionable too with the ability to right click for some actions. And Patch My PC stated they will be rolling this feature out in the upcoming weeks in waves. And you can register to be one of the first customers to experience advanced insights today if you'd like. Microsoft have announced email alerts for Windows feature and quality updates. This is pretty nice and something that has been needed for a long time in my opinion. I remember working in organizations over a decade ago where someone on the InfoSec team would go through every Windows update and detail what they did, what service or component could be impacted by them, and if we needed to deploy them in the organization. This kind of service from Microsoft would cut out some of that manual effort, and I have been getting similar emails for a few months now as part of the auto patch feature. So this is a nice addition to see that's going to be hopefully more widespread. And to sign up for email notifications about Windows known issues, just visit Windows Release Help in the Microsoft 365 Admin Center. And once there, select Preferences, Email, and select Send Me Email Notifications About Windows Release Help. From there, you have to do a few things. You need to enter up to two email addresses to receive the notifications. Each admin can set their own preferences. And the limit of two email addresses is per admin account. And addresses can include distribution lists, so you could keep colleagues in your organization informed of issues, even if they don't have access to the admin center themselves. You also want to select which Windows versions you want to be notified about. If your organization supports multiple versions of Windows, obviously select all that apply. And then lastly, don't forget to select save. Not really enterprise related, but it was reported this week that Apple and Google have agreed on a set of standards for AirTag-like products that would enable automatic alerts on both iOS and Android devices, though the proposed device specs likely won't eliminate the threat of device-enabled stocking altogether, unfortunately. According to a draft specification released by the two companies, any device that has a location-enabled state needs to have a low energy Bluetooth signal recognizable by both iOS and Android devices. This constant signal would hide the device's identity, but allow for 
non-owner unencrypted connections to the accessory. In addition, devices need to transition from a near owner mode to a separated mode if the device is no longer near an owner's device after 30 minutes. And this mode will also allow users to look up the serial number of a device, which could be used by police to find stalkers. So it is an improvement. Obviously, it's not going to cover all bases, but simply being able to see like what serial number was actually infiltrating or trying to follow an air tag that someone put on you or put in your handbag or something like that will at least uh, improve things and help these people be prosecuted better, I guess. And also the fact that there's going to be better notifications will hopefully help people too. Well, that's it for the news. Let's get on to some cool scripts, tricks, and tips. First up, Harm Veenstra had a blog post on configuring NTFS permissions using PowerShell. So this would be a nice one to have to do that programmatically. If you're in the habit of going in and right clicking and going into the permissions and changing things regularly, you don't have to do that. You could use PowerShell. And thanks to Ronnie Hamilton for this next one, who shared Patrick Koble's excellent tech paper on Citrix VDA operating system hardening. So this is a guide on how to harden the VDAs that you're using in your Citrix environment. And it's very, very thorough. And I'll share a link to that with this episode. Just to promote something of my own, uh, once again, <laughs> sorry about that. I recently post a blog post on why moving application management to the cloud makes sense. And just kind of a teaser, uh, you've got to support various different work styles. Uh, you need to support hybrid work styles, for example, where machines are going onto people's home networks. Using a VPN and being tethered to a VPN isn't an optimal experience. So moving application management specifically to the cloud uh, can help improve the experience for those hybrid workers. James Rankin shared a video that he actually created after the EUC forum event uh, where it goes through, should we still care about Windows user profiles? Uh, so <laughs> he didn't realize that the session that he did at the EUC forum was actually recorded and would be shared. Uh, so he was kind enough to re-record a shorter version and post that on his own YouTube page. So. Uh, you can either check out the EUC form longer version or you can check out James's version. The awesome Dr. Benny Trish shared that the EUC score has been updated to version 23.04. And this is a community driven tool set for proactive synthetic testing. And it's free of charge for EUC experts who are willing to share their test results publicly and no cost. I saw a really interesting tweet by Eric from Zenapp blog who said that he's been using ChatGPT or pr presumably the ChatGPT API uh, to grab information for Win32 packages within Intune. So, you know, you have to fill in the application name, the publisher information, possibly a description and so forth. But rather than uh, grabbing that and trying to put that into maybe a PowerShell script to script creation of applications in Intune or even manually put that information in and actually like think things out and type it out for yourself, uh, you could possibly use ChatGPT for doing that. And like I said earlier, I have an automated packaging uh, platform that I've built and I use myself. So this is something that I could be doing as well. And I'm going to look into it. 
Currently, I'm just grabbing the information from the Evergreen PowerShell module where it's possible or using an RPA to grab it in other instances. But it looks like this could be a really great uh, tool to help me too. And it might help others out there too. Steven Valdinger shared a blog post on designing PowerShell for end users. So going through uh, actual end user experience of some of the tools that you might create in PowerShell and just some tips on that. And finally, I saw Andrew Jimenez shared a blog post uh, with from Get IT Guy on how to temporarily provide admin access to a user for a set period of time. So if you do need to grant admin permissions, you could do this programmatically or you could do this, I think, with a third party tool uh, that's shared in the blog post and it's set for a particular interval that you determine. Well, that's it for this episode of the podcast. I don't say it every episode, but hey, you know, if you enjoy the podcast, feel free to tell some of your work colleagues and friends about the podcast too. And I'd really appreciate if you could go and give the podcast a review on your podcast platform of choice. As always, thank you so much for listening.